Today, I'm delighted to say we are joined by Richard Gott, who founded and currently chairs the MemberWise Network, the largest and most popular free network for over 8,000 membership and association professionals. I've worked within the membership space for the last 25 years and run the network for the past 15. In terms of my background, I've worked for a number of membership bodies, the traditional membership organisations like the Law City. I've worked for the Royal College of GPs. Along that journey, really felt that I needed some support. I wanted to meet people like me, so that's where MemberWise really came in. Rich, you are one of our expert contributors for the report. Really, uh, thank you for your insights in here. The report that you've written has got some really solid advice in there. It should be one of the go-to documents that you look at if you're thinking about community. Are you able to directly see a correlation between your members who are actively involved and then that having a commercial impact in terms of maybe coming to events? Community enables the conversation to take place. The recent launch of your reporting was one of the topics that came up. It's having that continued conversation where the value happens. Rich, why don't you introduce yourself and say hello? Hello and welcome to the Digital Community Leaders Podcast, where we chat with community managers, champions and founders about their experience leading and supporting digital communities. My name's Pete Heslop and I lead the team here at Steadfast Collective and our sole purpose is to craft digital applications that bring people together. We've created the Digital Community Leaders Podcast to be a bite-sized look into what it takes to start, grow and scale digital communities. And today I'm delighted to say we are joined by Richard Gott. Richard is a passionate and dedicated thought leader and champion of the profession. He founded and currently chairs the MemberWise Network, the largest and most popular free network for over 8,000 membership and association professionals, working with 3,000 leading organisations in the UK and EU. Examples range from the National Trust to British Sub Aqua Club and uh, Soho House Private Members Club. That is a diverse audience. Rich, why don't you introduce yourself and um, say hello? Yeah, sure thing. Well, great to be with you today. And um, in, in terms of um, who, who I am, as, as you say, my name's Rich and I chair the MemberWise Network. And I've worked within the membership space for the last 25 years um, and run the network for the past 15. And um, in terms of kind of uh, my background, I've worked for a number of membership bodies. So I've worked, like you say, in terms of um, the traditional membership organisations like the Law City. Uh, I've worked for the Royal College of GPs and um, along that journey really felt that I needed some support. I wanted to meet people like me. So that's where uh, MemberWise really came in. There wasn't anything there. So, um, so we pretty much created it. Nice. So you, what was your first foray into the world of community kind of as we know it today? So community for me, um, certainly when I set the network up 15 years ago, um, there was a lack of engagement between what you'd probably traditionally call face-to-face -face events. So if you, if you imagine the year from January to December, um, there would be gaps in between events, gaps in between seminars and um, our communications. So there was a need to kind of get the conversation started and to have a sustained conversation as well. And um, at that point, when I first started out in the UK, um, we were very much... 
I don't know, message boards, very clunky tech. Um, and mm. as I mentioned at one of your recent events, um, maybe only really your sort of advocates who were actually taking part in the discussion rather than, you know, most of the people who you'd like to engage with. So um, certainly in our network, we call ourselves geeks. So the geeks being maybe only about nine or 10% of the membership. But really what we wanted to do was to get the conversation with um, well, the other 90 odd percent um, through a really good uh, community tool. So I didn't know anything about community, never managed a community, uh, but recognised that actually the concept was going to be something that we would find helpful. So um, decided really just to get on a plane, went over to uh, the US where communities at that point were certainly gathering momentum where the UK, nothing really had happened. And I uh, went to a big membership conference where um, the ASAE, the American Society of Association Execs, and um, really got to know a number of providers of platforms who provide those services to membership bodies and mm. um, really just sort of went on a shopping expedition, really, sort of went and sort of had a look at them, had a play with them, worked out which one I thought was going to work best for us. Um, then we chose the platform provider. Uh, we probably got things set up within, I'd probably say realistically, maybe four to six months. And, uh, and we launched our community. The community is now eight years old. We've got around about three and a half thousand people on it. And um, it's doing amazing things for us from an engagement perspective. It's brilliant. That's fantastic. That's great work. Cheers, Rich. Really appreciate appreciate that. Um, so as you mentioned the event, um, so in September, we launched the Digital Community Leaders Report, which was a six-month project to survey and better understand the community profession. The report is now available on communityleadersurvey.com to download for free, or you can download your very own printed copy. Um, so... Rich, you are one of our expert contributors for the report. Really uh, thank you for your insights in here. One of the things which does make this report stand out, especially in the community space, is the incredible experts we had who inputted into uh, kind of analysing the data and giving kind of their real thought leadership on it. Um, so as part of this podcast, uh, I'm going to ask you for three thoughts that you have since you've had a chance to read the report. Um, so we can jump straight in with, with what your kind of first takeaway, first thought was from, from the report. So in, in terms of um, the, the, the thoughts that I'm going to share today, uh, the first one really is, and certainly the, the observation that I made from the report was quite interesting when it came to communities and growth. So mm. naturally, anybody who is leading or running a community, they, I would imagine, would want to see their community grow. And uh, they'd want to see as many active participants as possible. So the first thing that I saw that was really interesting in the report was that the combined number that are either staying still and not growing or are actually declining accounted for something like just shy of about 30 percent. So mm -hmm. in real terms, the, the research that you've done it highlights that nearly a third of the communities that are run by the professionals who responded are either not growing or they're actually reducing and that's obviously not a good thing from a, a kind of a, well, certainly from a membership perspective so in order for those communities to grow uh, i've got a number of thoughts on it so the the key thing that i see quite a lot when it comes to community is that individuals um 
professionals like myself will be given the task of creating a community by their organisation. So they will treat it as a project. They will do the due diligence with the platforms. They'll perhaps work with consultants. They'll work out what it is they need to deliver and they will just let it go. And mm. a lot of the time that when professionals like that take that approach, their communities don't work. And it's because really communities need to be sort of addressed as, as kind of um, living and breathing entities rather than simply just a piece of software that can be plugged in and press play. So that was my first takeaway. So nearly, as I say, a third of organisations are not seeing their communities grow. What would have been a super interesting question for us to ask afterwards would have been regarding if that was a result of exponential growth during the pandemic and now they're seeing either the slowdown or the fallout from that, which is definitely possible. Um, it's also um, growth is a weird one, isn't it? In that we we can measure kind of members or active members, but I guess one of the things which I'm always really keen to dig into with community managers is how are we actually measuring success. So obviously we've we've referenced there that in the report, just shy of thirty percent of folk said that their community didn't grow. Um, but it would be interesting to know if maybe if they didn't grow in inactive members, whether they actually grew in another success metric. Uh, Member-wise, what is your like, like North Star guiding metric that you're always looking at when it comes to your, your membership and your kind of community? Yeah, so, so in, in terms of kind of measuring, measuring engagement, this has been a big priority for people like myself because, you know, in terms of actually wanting to optimise engagement, you, you, you really do need to know where you are on that scale of zero to hero, if that's the phrase. Um, in terms of being able to do that, um, it, back in the day, it used to be easier to, um, to measure success for membership. So if I give you an example, when I was the head of membership for the Royal College of GPs, I was measured on the number of new members I could bring in or I was measured on the retention of existing members. And when you're being measured via those kinds of metrics, they're pretty straightforward. You know, you're either increasing your membership, it's either staying the same or it's decreasing. And the same from a member retention perspective. You know, you've got churn. If it goes up, that's not good. If it goes down, that's better. But when it comes to engagement, the ability to be able to proactively measure it um, is not so straightforward because there's a number of different things that are included in that kind of, whether it's an algorithm, whether it's a measurement, um, it's not as straightforward. So when it comes to our community, I suppose there's two types. There's, 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 um, there's the quality, well, quality and quantity. The quality really is something that's observational. So we look at the actual the conversation that's taking place, the depth of the conversation, you know, really look at whether members are getting a rich experience. And certainly when we come to sharing best practice, we can get that conversation started with typically best practice guides, that kind of thing. Um, the second thing to measure is obviously the quantity of conversations. So in terms of a, a, a community, you need a continued conversation, but how many conversations? Uh, so really, we just keep an eye on those two things. And, um, you know, we intervene if we need to. So if someone, for example, asks a question and doesn't get a response, we make sure we've got people who can help respond to that and continue the conversation. Um, again, it kind of goes back to that original comment about communities being a living and breathing entity. Uh, and, and that living and breathing entity, you know, sometimes needs to be nurtured as well as monitored. 
Are you able to directly see a correlation between your members who are actively involved and those that have a and, and then that may having a commercial impact for yourself in terms of maybe coming to events or participating in other ways or is it not quite that simple in, in terms of community community enables the conversation to take place and uh, at the recent launch mm -hmm. of, of your report it was one of the topics that came up whereby it's having a, that continued conversation where the value happens so for example pr previously before community you know you might go to an event you might get a newsletter you, you know you read it you delete it you go to an event you go back to the workplace it's almost like a an experience that has happened whereby community is very much I, I believe a continued experience Mm. So in terms of what it does, it really just it sort of optimises what would be, for example, a one-off event. So, for example, with community, you can preempt the content at an event. You can get the conversation started before the actual day. That can work brilliantly from an audience perspective because you can get people interested in perhaps the topics that you're going to talk about. You can get people networking. You can get people finding out whether they share the same things in common and really optimise what the experience will be at the event. So so that's that's mm. one of the things that the community definitely provides. I'd say there's the other side of events as well. So after an event has taken place, uh, you've got the ability to actually look back at what was talked about, perhaps get people to talk about things that they thought were particularly good or not good or they agree with or they disagree with. So community kind of enables that to happen. Um, you mentioned, obviously, with the pandemic, a lot of membership organisations did... Um, they, they created an online community because there was no alternative at that point. So it was a, a kind mm. of do or die moment, If again, if that's the right phrase. Um, it, it just enabled the conversation to, to take place. Do, does, it, does community uh, enable us to increase our income? Um, I know that when we post about our conferences and events, that definitely turns into conversions. So people will hear about, for example, a particular session that we might be profiling within our community, mm. find that of interest in our daily digest within our community. And that is almost certainly moving them into a space where they where they might want to come to an event. Whereas before, maybe they, they wouldn't have known about that element. Maybe they wouldn't have come to the event. So um, I'd say 50-50, really. 50% qualitative can't really give you an answer but 50% probably yes, it, it, it does deliver people coming along to our paid-for conferences and events. And obviously you can't, that it would be odd and bizarre to run an event, you know, more often than you, than you do per se. So it almost extends the the life of those events, doesn't it, from before and after, like you were just mentioning. You kind of, you can increase the excitement through the community building up to the event and then post-event you can make sure that people are, fully able to still connect and gather like they were at the event just kind of in the weeks following um, i always find it interesting when i go to especially larger conferences where there may be tens of thousands or, or even something like web summit where there's a uh, 150 or thousand and folk gathering in lisbon it's there's there's so many people it's almost overwhelming to the fact where you have to do your prep work beforehand otherwise you go there and you're just kind of wandering around milling hoping you'll bump into someone interesting and inevitably you won't because they've all done their homework um so when i went to web summit this time i was very much uh using their kind of community app i guess they had to do all my prep beforehand to line up meetings um, and folk that i really wanted to chat to because 
at an event of a certain size, you can kind of count for spontaneity, but at a certain size, you need to create the spontaneity yourself and, and be planning these, these kind of things. And I think that the community apps really help that. Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd agree. And the, the, the other thing to, 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 to say is probably people, I mean, obviously yourself, Pete, people like myself, you know, we are, I'd say, in terms of community, um, the advocates. And um, in terms of the number of people that come to an event, they're probably, and again, you've cited this in the report, the, the, the 99-1 rule, you've got obviously your 1% of advocates, which I think we'd fall into that kind of category. You've got your 9% of perhaps responders who, if they're prompted with the right community conversation, uh, they might take part in a conversation, but then you've got a good 90% of people where the content will just really wash over them. So they'll buy a ticket, they'll come along to an event. Um, but, you know, really you're trying to push people into that 9%, that 10%, whereby they're actively going to get involved with uh, the content a lot deeper. Um, and from a commercial perspective, the, the deeper people are involved with a particular topic, product or service, the, the more likely they are to purchase it or the more likely to be susceptible to cross and upsell they're likely to be so you know it, it definitely has a knock-on effect let's um let's move on to your your second thought your second takeaway from from the report uh, kind of learnings from that so the second takeaway that that i've got very much is um in terms of why is it do we provide community so as membership organizations why is it would we want why would we want to do such a thing and certainly within the pandemic that really did prove itself so what community does, certainly from a membership perspective, it provides immediate value and it provides immediate tangible value in what is really turning into quite a virtual world from a membership perspective. So if you go back, dare I say it, 20 years ago, 30 years ago, the benefits that you would get from a membership organisation would be quite tangible. You know, you, you would go along to the conference, you get, a, I don't know, you might get a membership badge, you might get a welcome pack. You, you could touch it, you could feel it, you could almost taste it in terms of an actual experience. But when it comes to moving membership forward, particularly during the pandemic, a lot of those things were taken away from us. So virtual actually became much more important. And what we saw pretty immediately was the number of membership organizations that actually started to host online communities so i mean a figure that i'll give you today so back in 2018-19 so pre-pandemic there was around about sort of 29 percent of membership bodies with online communities fast forward to today and that number's increased to 46 percent so pre-pandemic and post-pandemic we've seen a 17 percent increase in those numbers and it was the fact that online community could deliver value during a period where some of the more traditional tools that we've got available to us as membership professionals or membership organizations simply fell by the wayside because those opportunities weren't possible so the second takeaway as i say community provides immediate and tangible value and particularly during periods of time where it's more difficult to provide value it's mm. there um, I'll give another example, membership organisations in the UK, they've in the past been termed as very London centric, so very regional, region sorry, very region specific and um, great for the people who live in London. But what about those people who live on the Isle of Man? What about those people who are based in Northern Ireland? Um, 
online community enables the conversation to be more inclusive, which again, for those people will deliver massive amounts of value. And also that switch from having your members as a audience, which you're promoting to, you're kind of talking at, you're maybe updating with the latest thing, switching them into being community members where they're becoming fans and advocates of your brand. That's why we saw word of mouth as such a, a huge part of how communities grow in in the report and i think that is because once somebody is fully invested in a community they want to tell their friends they want people to get involved and they almost become your marketing pr department for you because they are the ones which are waiting to 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 kind of go on that journey with you which is very different to an email list um where you're just kind of being talked at to a place where you can actually have involvement in the conversation and maybe even shape the future of what that looks like and it's quite a powerful switch going from someone who's observing to someone who's contributing yeah yeah definitely and within the world of membership even if you put community to one side the relationship that our organisations have with members has changed massively. Again, 20 to 30 years ago, it would very much have been a broadcast relationship. So those organisations, mm. they would be telling the members what to do. Now, there's still an element of that that's required because obviously in terms of those organisations, particularly those that have got particular roles. So I don't know if you want to, if you imagine, for example, within the world of medicine, you know, there's certain standards that need to be held, there's certain things that need to be done. And those organisations, they are the gold standard, if you like. So they're there to make sure that their members are doing certain things. That's not changed. But very much mm. the, the element that might be more kind of a, of a conversation. So you've got the networking element of membership. You know, you've got the special interest areas within membership. Um, it enables it to be a conversation rather than it being a, a mm. broadcast. And I think as well, with, particularly with younger members coming through, the younger, the next generation of members, they expect a conversation. They, they don't expect mm-hmm. to be broadcasted. They don't expect to be told what to do. Um, you know, they want to be part of that conversation that works out what good looks like. You know, the it's a very different um, way of doing things and community enables that. And I think, especially with that younger generation, is um, folk want to be part of things which they can align their own values to, which is why you see very small communities of maybe even less than 100 people having huge impact in the same way that we see kind of micro influencers on TikTok or, or Instagram or, or whatever with fairly small followings, but it's such a... F- concentrated group of people maybe it's about a certain fountain pen or a certain book or author like it's really concentrated that when somebody does then talk to them and it's about that subject it has such big impact and I love the idea of really niche community like I'm part of a community which is just about the car I own. And that's where I find out about things like software updates. Now, no one cares unless they own the same car as I, but we get to talk about things like delivery dates and and updates and, oh, what, what new colours are coming out? Um, and I just love the concept of tiny communities that have actually a pretty big impact when it comes to that product or that thing. It's fun. Yeah, I mean, and, and you can you can see that. I mean, in terms of the communities that we see doing well, you've um, you've got the ability to kind of create. Um, again, I'll use the word a tribe. Uh, you've got a group mm. of people who perhaps are given an identity through that community, 
And um, like you say, whether it's the car that you've got on your driveway, whether it's, um, you know, a motorbike, I mean, it could be anything, couldn't it? But if, if, if it's that thing that you really love, then if it enables you to kind of find out more about it or if it enables you to have a conversation with other people who are equally interested in it, then from an engagement perspective, that, that kind of goes through the roof with community because it actually enables mm. that conversation to take place. Whereas previously, you know, I, I again use the example of a, maybe a classic car, for example, um, you know, in the, in the country, there's only going to be a certain number of people who want that particular or like that particular car, but you get them together uh, and they'll be the most excited group of people about that ever because they'll yeah. be bouncing off each other. And, you know, that community enables that. Fab, let's roll on to your third and final uh, takeaway from the report, Rich. Okay, so so in in terms of um, in terms of um, actually my third takeaway when it comes to communities, I had a I had a little bit of a think about this, and we we touched upon it at the launch of the report. Uh, but it's actually asking ourselves what is it that's holding community leaders and their communities back. So if we can work out what that is, and we've, we said right back at the beginning of today's session that we've got about a third of communities that are either standing still or not growing. So what is it we can do for those organisations or with those organisations to change things? And so what we've done ourselves, every couple of years we take a bit of a look at what's going on within digital. And um, a, big, a big blocker that we've detected is that um, a lot of organisations do not have strategies or plans in place. So you can look at all sorts of different, you can look at all sorts of different examples of those strategies and plans and particularly with community uh, I would recommend that everybody has a community strategy in place and um, community strategies are helpful because they will keep you on track and um, as I say the figures that we've got around about a third of organizations have strategies so again mm -hmm. the actual vast majority do not have them in place. And we've all heard this fail to plan, plan to fail. It, it sounds a mm. bit cheesy, but if you've not got a clear direction for your community, if you've not got yeah. clear objectives, if you've not got those clear identity or those clear measurements in place, where are you going? What are you doing? And then it starts to get a little bit of a, what's the word, a bit slushy, you know. And this is where I think a lot of communities are stagnant. It's because they've actually not got... The direction they need to be successful yeah i think you're spot on there and i i think it's that alignment as well to to, to corporate goals as well um we know that the the, the majority of communities are, are funded by somebody or some sort of corporate um brand and ultimately engagement is lovely but it needs to equal something at the end of it um ultimately if it's got to equal growth in some some sort of area which you've agreed with the C-suite or whoever's kind of funding your organisation. And whether that's, you know, reducing support time or, or increasing um, sales, that, that's fine. It, they just need to be aligned. And it, we had a really great conversation on, on the evening regarding that needs to be transparent and, and really clear because otherwise 18 months down the line... Um, your community manager might think things are going swimmingly because engagement's good and growth is good, but ultimately the the reporting metric that 
your C-suite are looking for isn't the same as what you're looking at. And I think that's, that's really important. And that part of that's that roadmap, right? Is that actually what is the ultimate end game of this community? Is it to shift tickets? Is it to reduce waiting time? Is it to increase whatever? Um, but if there's not that roadmap or that transparency, what I found really interesting, what you said there is that you review it every, every two years. Is that part of um, like a management team? Who, who, who's the stakeholders in that meeting? So, so what we do, the, the actual review itself is of the entire membership sector. So the, the digital mm. excellence report that we deliver on, it's it's got two purposes, really. One of them is to provide a snapshot of what digital looks like. So for membership people that, like myself, you can 10, 20 years ago, if someone said to you, right, what is the leading software provider in X or Y? or how many people, for, I mean, I gave you the figures before, the numbers of membership bodies that have online community. Mm. At best, you'd be guessing what that number is. So for us, the research that we do, it actually quantifies what's happening out there. Um, it, it's good for the sector to know. It's good for providers to be aware, because obviously they can look at the demand or where the demand is and provide products and services to meet that demand. But primarily, what's great about being able to quantify what's happening is it provides professionals like myself with the ability to take business cases to the c-suite or equivalent and actually with 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 a very strong with a strong degree of confidence be able to say and again i'll go back to that figure 46 percent of membership organizations have online community we don't have an online community we think there's a need for an online community. And for example, you might survey some leaders and see whether or not they want or they, they, they believe that, or however you want to actually put that forward. And if you're going to the C-suite with things like that, it's very difficult for them to say no, um, you know, in terms of whether you're, you're looking to get funding for a, a platform, maybe you're looking for mm. funding for an entire project to get one off the ground, a community off the ground. Um, you need those kind of figures in your war chest, if that's the right phrase, because otherwise they might, you know, they say, well, okay, so what, why do we need community? You know, to be able to turn around and say, well, because half of all other organisations have one and because they deliver tangible member value in an ever intangible world, that's quite an argument to put in front of somebody yeah. and for them to not listen to that would, I don't know, I'd... I, I, I'd think twice about not listening to somebody if they were throwing those kind of figures at me. Yeah, they're they're obviously thinking short term. Maybe they're looking to exit sooner rather than later. <laughs> they're not looking to spend. Exactly, exactly. And you, you can't say no. Yeah, and it's it's not a short term game, is it? Like like um, it's definitely a, a longer play. Um, but with those kind of figures, I guess that just gives confidence, and that's a real service you're giving to your members in kind of providing that report because that sort of data, as we found out in producing this, is they're hard work to put together right gathering the data looking through the analysis all of those kind of things it's it's a lot of work so when somebody else does it for you it's a, it's a bit of a treat so it's, yeah and, and having that wider view of what the sector is actually doing it provides credibility for mm. that so i mean I, I don't know one of the one of the key things if there's any takeaway from what i'm talking about today um it's going to be that you know creating an online community is not a one-off exercise it's not a quick win if, you, if you're going in for it for that kind of reason then just 
I really would urge you not to do it. Um, community, it, it's, it's one of those things, as I say, it's a, leave, it's a living, breathing entity. You've got to nurture it. You know, you, you've got to feed it. You've got to measure it. You've got to regularly come back to it. Um, it it's, it's not something that will just run on empty, but the rewards that you can get from an engaged community, an enthused community, mm -hmm. uh, and a community that's got identity and purpose and structure, uh, the benefits are absolutely through the roof. So, you know, I'd, I'd just say, you know, if you're going to take a structured approach, think about the value, get the engagement piece right, aim for structured growth, you're definitely going to be on the right track. So good to chat, Rich. I can feel the, feel the wisdom coming through the camera, through the screen. It's, uh, it's, it's really good. Well, I never, I never set out. I never set out to be uh, what I would call a community manager. It definitely wasn't something that that I intended to do. It's very much a kind of a, a demand-led reality. Um, and I mean, obviously, we could you could spend a whole day talking about you know the different platforms, the the different ways of doing things. Um, but you know, if you get it right, it definitely you know I'm, I'm a real strong advocate of it. And, um, you know, I'd, I'd urge anybody who's thinking about it to, I think, you know, there's the report that you've written. It's got some really solid advice in there. Uh, it should be one of the go-to documents that you look at if you're thinking about community. Uh, certainly within the world of membership, I hope that we're one of the go-to places to, to look at contextualised community from a membership perspective. Um, but, but, yeah, taking a structured approach is definitely the, the way forward. And um, obviously, thank you for, for inviting me to, to come and have a conversation with you today. You are so welcome. It's great to have you here. So, Rich, where is the best place for people to find you online if they want to ask you some questions or maybe find out a bit more about what you're up to? The MemberWise Network's there for any professional working for a membership organisation. Uh, we, we can be found at www.memberwise.org.uk and um, joining is completely free. The community's free. Uh, as I say, the only criteria that we ask is that you work for a membership organisation mm. and um, we've got an online community, we've got an online learning platform, uh, we've got our regular conferences and events and we've obviously got our recognised suppliers. So, um, yeah, please do take part in the conversation. Fab. Thank you. And obviously, we've been chatting today through some of the details out of the report. Um, if you haven't yet got your copy, you can head over to communityleadersurvey.com to download it for free, or you can pay a small amount of money and we will post out one of these beautiful copies to you. Um, I think that's it for today. We'll be back um, next time with another um, community expert chatting through their takeaways from the report. But until then, uh, thank you very much, Rich, and we'll see you next time.